Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Good morning, First Alliance Church. It is my great privilege to be addressing you this morning. You know, as I walk through the empty hallways of this building, I realize that this building, this church is much more than this building. It's all of you, all of you who are out there watching. Whether you're all dressed up or whether you're sitting comfortably in your pajamas, whether you're by yourself or with a group of people, whether you're near or far, whether you're in a quiet, serene environment or whether family chaos is erupting around you, you are First Alliance Church. And I look forward to the day that we can gather in this building together. I'm sure that will be a day of great smiles and lots of hugs. In the meantime, I am very grateful for this technology that allows us to keep in contact with each other. We here at First Alliance are in the middle of Advent. Two weeks ago, you heard about light in the midst of sorrow. And last week, you heard about joy in the midst of... Sorry, it was light in the midst of darkness, joy in the midst of sorrow. Today, we will be talking about freedom from oppression. And I'd like to start by giving you a couple of images that are going to show up on your screen. The first image that you see is a cudgel. This is an ancient war weapon that was used in ancient times. When you look at it, you can see that it is an image of pain. It's an image of one person exerting power over another and oppressing them. The second image that is going to appear on your screen is very, very different, but it's also very familiar to Christians around the world. It's the, it's the nativity scene, and it brings to us an image of peace and goodwill to all. So let's begin. We have been focusing on Isaiah 9, and today we're going to focus specifically on Isaiah on, chap, on verse 4. I'm going to read that to you. The abuse of oppressors and cruelty of tyrants all their whips and cudgels and curses is gone, done away with, a deliverance as surprising and sudden as Gideon's old victory over Midian. This whole section of Isaiah has a strong military image, and there's a reason for this. And in order to understand this, we should go back in time. We should go back to the time of the original audience of Isaiah. So what was happening during this time? We're looking at about 745 to about 701 BC. And Israel is facing the imminent invasion of Assyria. So Assyria is a very strong nation to the north. And it's exerting its military power by simply invading the countries around it. And so Israel sits in this spot. They're fearful. They're worried. And all they can do is talk about this and think about this. As you can imagine, it would be similar to today's world. We talk about COVID. We turn on our radios in the morning, we tune into our social media, and everywhere it's COVID, simply because that's the main thing that is on our minds these days. It's oppressing us, and it's all over our, it's all over our society. So obviously, it's something we're talking about. So this was probably the same state as the Israelites. They were definitely worried about this oppressive government that was going to take over them. And so, 
Isaiah speaks a word of hope. Isaiah speaks to them that this oppression, these weapons that are coming, are going to be done away with. And they probably hung on to that with great hope, because here they are. They're looking at their current situation. They're afraid of this impending uh, invasion. The uh, imagery of war is very real to them. They resonate with that because that is what they're seeing and that is what they're going to experience. But you know, God was seeing it from a very, very, very different perspective when he spoke through Isaiah to give them this particular promise that they would be delivered. God is probably saying, oh, those humans, oh, those humans, when will they get it? Do they not see that they were under, they were under oppression under the Egyptians? and then again under the Midianites, and then again under a host of other nations, and now the Assyrians. They were delivered without weapons. When will, when will those humans get it? That they're constantly oppressing each other. Whoever is in power seems to oppress the, person, the group that is not in power. I'm coming down, and I'm going to tell them it's not about the weapons, and it's not about the power, and it's not about exerting this over other people. So let's look at uh, the next verse that follows verse 4, and it's going to appear on your screen. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire, for unto us a child is born. So God is saying to them, look, Israelites, here you are. You're looking on the surface, here on the surface, and you're looking at your oppression and you're fearful, and truly you should be because this is real danger. But I, I am looking at the bottom. I'm looking underneath. I am seeing the reason for this oppression that keeps coming up over and over and over again in history. And I can deliver without the weapons. So I'm coming down. And it's not about the weapons. I'm coming down to show you how, how to really, really, really give you true freedom. And so we move to our second image, the nativity. The nativity. You're going to see right now on your PowerPoint a few images of the nativity. This has become a very, very uh, popular image for Christians around the world. It is December, and we're preparing for Christmas. So you see the nativity everywhere. And each culture seems to put their own take on what the nativity looks like. And if, as you look through these images, you'll see that they're all very different, and they all represent various different cultures but they all have one thing in common. They have been cleansed, they have been sterilized. And, in the, and it's such, so much so that they appear to be just a romanticized version of the real story. The real story was anything but. Let's take a quick look at that real story. You've got a betrothed young couple. Okay, problem number one. In that society, they were betrothed and expecting their first child. In the eyes of their society, they had broken a cardinal rule. They had conceived the child outside of marriage. That's problem number one, because now they are ostracized. They are the object of gossip. But not only that, their child will grow up with a stigma. Everywhere that child goes, people will look at that child and say, oh, you're that child. And that child will live as an outsider, because that child has that stigma. Okay, let's move on with the story. Mary and Joseph are now expecting their child, and it's going to be born almost any day. 
and they get the most unwelcome news that they have to make a long journey, about 144 kilometers from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. It couldn't have come at a worse time for them. But they need to make it, so off they go. It would have taken the average person about nine days to make this journey, and we're going to assume that Mary and Joseph took a little longer because they had to go at a slower pace. So it's no surprise that when they get to Bethlehem, everything's full. There's no place for them. So what do they do? Essentially, at this moment in time, Mary and Joseph are experiencing homelessness. They have no place where they can close the door behind them and have privacy and put down their bags and be who they are. So what do they do? They have to look at public spaces in a different way, and they have to say, where can I find shelter here? So what do they do? They find shelter in somewhat of a cave. Yes, I know uh, children's stories have made that to look like a, a nice, cute little clean barn, but it was anything but. It was probably the equivalent to the modern-day parking garage. People would travel by mules in those days and donkeys, so when they get to town, they would need to put them somewhere, and they would put them in these semi-sheltered areas next to inns and things like that. So that's where they went. It would have been dark, because it was night. It would have been probably cold, because it probably didn't have doors. It did not provide privacy, because people had to come in and out tending their animals. Uh, it may have been humid, depending on how many animals there were there. However, I'm pretty sure, I'm definitely sure that it was dirty. It was really dirty. And for someone like me who loves cleanliness, I would say this was extremely dirty. Moreover, the smell of sweating animals and manure would have been filling the place with a stench. And this is where they had their first child. This is where Jesus came into the world. So you, now you look at the Israelites back in the time when they were um, being invaded by Assyria, and they're afraid, and they're looking for someone to save them with power, with weapons. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm coming in not, to, not only to deliver you from the Assyrians, but to go underneath the surface and deliver you from much, much, much more. And this is the way I'm doing it. You could imagine at this moment in time that Mary and Joseph felt rejected. Did you ever, ever consider where were Joseph's relatives? They, too, had to make this long journey to get registered for this census. They probably traveled a little faster than Mary and Joseph. Wasn't there anyone who could have reserved a room for them? Wasn't there an aunt or an uncle, a brother, sister, mother, who would have said, hey, Mary and Joseph, we'll squish over and you can have our space? There's nobody. And Mary and Joseph may have had some very, very difficult why questions roaming around in their minds. Why, if I'm God's highly favored, am I in this stinking place? Why, if I'm following God's commands, is my life horrible right now? Why didn't God reserve a place for us? He knew we were coming here. If this is the Son of God, why is He entering this world in a most filthy place? There are some heavy whys, and they come from a place of pain and anguish and wondering. With the advantage of history, we can look back and we have a better sense of what some of those whys. It wasn't a coincidence that Mary and Joseph had to face this trip to Bethlehem at the very end of Mary's pregnancy. For Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem, for the prophets had foretold this. 
If they had been born in Nazareth, things would be different. So yes, although it seemed awful for Mary and Joseph at the time, it was all part of God's perfect plan. And Jesus came in this way because he wanted to give us a message. Hey, humans, it's not about those weapons. It's not about the power. It's about me coming to truly release you because I'm the only one who can actually do it for you. Not just the oppression of what you see in front of you right now, but deep, deep, deep freedom from oppression that you may not even be aware that you are oppressed. And that's why I've come this way. I've come because I align myself with the homeless, the stigmatized, the outcast, the marginalized. That's who I associate with. I associate with you when you're in the deepest, darkest place of your life. When you feel terrible about yourself, I align myself with you. I don't only have compassion, I, exact, I actually align myself as you. And I've come with the power to release you from all that oppression. And we see by Jesus' death and resurrection and going to heaven that he has done that for us. And he shows us that in heaven we will have that perfect place, that place that absolutely has no oppression at all. But as we live between the cross and heaven, he wants to give us that oppression. Uh, sorry, he wants to give us that freedom from our oppression. So you may ask, okay, okay, some oppressions is obvious to see. Slavery, yeah, that's obvious, but what kind of other oppressions are you talking about? Well, I'm going to give you a bit of an example here. In front of me, you see two mugs, two latte mugs. If you like latte, this is what you use. Okay, for all intents and purposes, they look very similar. They're about the same size, they're made of the same material, they hold about as much liquid, but there is a significant difference between these two mugs, okay? And it all boils down to this little slip of paper and an emblem at the bottom of this one. This is actually a designer one. This one isn't. Now, suddenly, you see that these two very similar mugs suddenly change in status. This one becomes more valuable. This one definitely has a higher price tag. And the person who holds it may feel like he or she has more status. Why? Who decides that this becomes the designer cup? Who, who des decides that that designer deserves that status? What is the value system behind making these decisions? What is the value system that we hold on to that makes us appreciate this one more than this one? There's nothing wrong with designer cups or designer anything. If you want to use designer stuff, Go ahead, there's nothing wrong with it. That's not the point. The point is, what are we using to assess our own value and our own worth and our own significance? Are we latching on to things outside of God to make us feel important, to make us feel that we're worthy? Or are we relying upon God? If we judge ourselves outside of God and if we search for our significance outside of God, we're gonna latch on to things that eventually oppress us and oppress others around us. And we see examples of this all around us. For example, you may be a type of person who is continuously um, controlled by negative thoughts, whether it be an anger issue, whether you're someone who catastrophizes everything, whether you're someone who is extremely judgmental and you're always judging others, whether or not you are fearful and you feel that everyone's out to get you, 
Our thoughts dictate our feelings and our actions. And then eventually, this becomes a way of life. And sometimes we don't even know that these things are oppressing us, but truly they are, because they're robbing us of the true freedom that God wants to give us. Take, for example, someone who suffers from addiction. They may feel strong at one moment in time and say, I'm going to overcome this addiction. But after uh, some time, they may start feeling frustrated. They may start persevering and obsessing over that addiction. And then before long, they give in to it. And then they feel shame and guilt. That addiction becomes their oppressor. And that addiction wants to rob them of all the joy in their life. And sometimes they do lose their families, their jobs, their homes, everything. Now, it's not just addictions, and addictions can be all kinds of things. But the point is, we internally are uh, oppressed by certain things, by certain sins, by certain ways of, of living, by things we've learned. Maybe we live out lies that we've been told, and we are oppressed individually. And God comes and says, I came born next to a pile of a manure to tell you that I align with all the filth of your life and I've come because I want to release you. I haven't come with a weapon of war. I've come to release you. And we just need to accept that release. We just need to go to God and say, Lord, show me what oppresses me. Or maybe we already know what oppresses us, and the Lord is the one who can deliver us from that completely. And out of this deliverance, then God wants to use us to deliver others. So what kind of other oppressions are there? We look at our society and we say, any society where religious minorities are considered inferior, or maybe a certain culture is considered inferior, where people of a certain race do not have equal opportunities, where non-citizens are denied protection under the law, where corruption is tolerated in judicial systems, where freedom of speech is controlled, where societies are controlled by a very, very small number of elite, and where stereotypes and prejudices are unchallenged. This is an image of our societies, and we see that oppression is everywhere. So God wants to in, uh, free us individually, and then you, us in this world to free others from oppression. Today in North America, we see a huge racial divide that has come, become prominent in our society. And we need not look and point fingers to our neighbors to the south. We have it here. And this has come out uh, very much in our society today. And it doesn't matter right now what you think of it, but the question is, as the Church of God, as those who've been freed by God, how should we respond? Maybe we have attitudes that we're not aware of that are hindering um, bringing together unity amongst the races. Maybe we just are not paying attention but we need to pay attention to what God wants us to do. The church, as the children of God, as the ambassadors of God, should be leading the charge on this, because God came to identify with the oppressed. Remember, when we walk downtown Toronto and we see the homeless, do we see Jesus? When we see refugees having to flee from their countries, do we see them as Jesus? That's where Jesus is, aligning himself with those who are oppressed. And we, out of the love that he's uh, gone through us, should be working to relieve the oppressions of others. And you know, God could have miraculously come down to this earth 
any way he wanted. He created this world out of nothing. He did not need to marry a Joseph. That is a fact. However, he chose Mary and Joseph. He chose Mary and Joseph to cooperate with him to bring the greatest deliverance for all humanity for all time. Yes, there was a cost to Mary and Joseph, but look at what they were a part of. And so likewise, God is asking us today, will you step out as a Mary and Joseph and be willing to allow me to work in you personally to completely deliver you and then fuse within you my thoughts, my compassion for the world, and have you move out in delivering others from oppression. So our two questions as we conclude is, are we willing to receive the freedom that God wants to give us? And will we, like Mary and Joseph, say yes to bringing freedom to those who are oppressed around us? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you came in such a humble way that you align yourself with us, even in our most dirtiest moments, and that your desire is to give us freedom. I pray that you would work through us, that we as a church could bring freedom to those who are oppressed around us. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.